Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Awake Not Baked. Today I'm joined by another guest. I don't know how to introduce you because you're anonymous. <laughs> Let's just call him Jake. And I wanted him to come on because we've spoken about a lot of things, which I feel like I've always wanted to talk about on the podcast, but it's kind of topics that I would prefer to have someone else's kind of feedback on and opinion on so I think the first thing I want to talk about is probably about sobriety because say hi so that people know that someone is actually there I am here (laughs) so yeah so Jake and I have both gone through similar thought processes and kind of relationship with alcohol maybe actually no I feel like you were probably a bit different to me and that you were a huge drinker and I never really was a big drinker. That's not true. <laughs> okay, since you're anonymous on the podcast, you've got to be completely honest. <laughs> you can't lie. No one no one knows who you are. Tell me, Jake, about why you stopped drinking and your whole relationship with alcohol? So I, probably similar to a lot of people who grew up in the UK, started drinking when I was like 16. You know, you start going to the pub with like your friends, whatever, drinking at home. And I don't know, I I thought that I never really had a break from drinking since I was like 16. Mm -hmm. By break, I mean more than two weeks, three weeks. And it felt like such an ingrained part of my life. Yeah. Um, So a lot of it was out of curiosity, just to see what life might be like if I completely stopped. For me, obviously, like I went through a reasonably heavyish phase of drinking when I was at university. Mm-hmm. Nothing too dissimilar to what most people go through. But then it sort of, when I left university, it was more of a once or twice a week kind of thing. And I just felt like it was ruining all of my momentum that I built up during the week. And honestly, it was more out of curiosity. I was only planning to do it for a month. So anyway, I stopped drinking in the end of November, did it for a month and then much preferred it. So I just kept going. So you planned on doing it just for a month? I planned on doing it for one month. And then I got through to, I I did a month and then I was like, actually, this is great. This suits me way better. I feel a lot better. I'm way more productive. Um, Like I get a lot of pleasure out of being productive and doing stuff. So that will increase when I stopped drinking and my mood, everything. I mean, it's amazing. Like it's obviously a trade-off because I'm not one of those people who will like argue that you can have fun without drinking like drinking is fun of course like going out and getting smashed with your friends is fun like it's an enjoyable part of growing up mm-hmm. it's it's a trade-off like it's yeah. a sacrifice yeah. of course um but it's all about which trade-off you want to make um and right now like i'm at a point where i kind of want to make the trade-off of not drinking and doing a bunch of other stuff yeah um and maybe at some point i'll go back to drinking it would definitely be a different relationship but everything in my life pretty much is way better not drinking yeah and there are of course like times where i miss just pulling the pin and having a great time but yeah not right now it's probably better yeah that i'm not drinking yeah what about you um so i've never been like a big drink or anything and also i'm quite a lightweight so i don't need to drink that much to like feel it but during my first year of uni um I was going out a lot and maybe it was the fault of like going out to the same places and it was like Mayfair clubbing and it just started to feel very dark just the whole concept of clubbing and drinking in order to have fun and then kind of like getting so wasted that you barely remember the next day or like just spending the whole weekend feeling awful and it just started to feel really repetitive and just when something is repeated that much and without that much actual value or purpose it just feels so useless and so empty and so just like going through that motion of just doing what everyone else did was just like stopped feeling fun and like communal and more like like extremely depressing and I just started to feel like a shell of a human and I was like looking around at you know the people around me in clubs being like I'm nothing like these people and I don't want to be anything like them and by me performing the same like performative act like it's almost like a ritual I was starting to become like them and identify like them and I and I just couldn't stand it and so me being sober I think it was almost a year was 
kind of aggressively removing myself from that social identity and making sure I felt more connected to myself and my values. Um, And so while it was like an extreme act, I still felt like it was necessary in my understanding of what makes me happy, what makes me feel purposeful and why I would drink in the future. And just like having more intention with the way that I spend my time. Um, And so for months, it meant that I wasn't going out with any of my friends and I I would only see them at uni or for lunches and things like that um, because I would refuse to go out with them. And it wasn't because of any hatred towards my friends or anything like that. It was just like, I just needed to take a step back and have like a clean slate and figure out like what makes me excited to do stuff and what makes me want to be sociable and things like that. And I think just doing the same thing all the time for no reason was starting to just feel pointless and for some reason alcohol was a key factor in like um promoting me doing something that was just useless and so but looking back on like how I drink now versus that was what like five years ago six years ago um it is very different like now I feel like I have a better relationship with alcohol I don't get so worried about like drinking or not drinking I'm trying to I mean we've spoken about this before but like I try to just be much more relaxed and laid back towards it like if I feel like having a few drinks with my friends I'll do that but equally I now feel very comfortable to go on not not just to a bar or to dinner but also to an actual night out um or a party and be completely sober and that be equally as normal and I like that my friends now know that that's just who I am as well like sometimes I'll have a crazy night sometimes I'll drink a little bit or sometimes I'll drink nothing and they won't be confused by that they'll be like oh that's just Eleanor like today she's feeling it today she's not you know but also another part of like not drinking was I was sick of people coming up to me in clubs when I was like being all crazy and like dancing a lot and just being weird. Like I was just sick of people coming up to me being like, oh my God, I don't know, like you, are you really drunk? And I'm like, no, <laughs> those drinks are for you. Like I'm leaving them for you. You clearly need them. Like I'm just, I'm just chilling. I'm just being myself, you know? And so I just hated thinking that there could be any possibility where people think I'm only fun because I'm drinking. I just thought that was just like the silliest thing. And I knew that wasn't me. But also we've talked about this where at a certain point it started to feel quite like self-serving, my refusal to drink in the sense that I was trying to prove something, not just to myself, but to other people. And like proving that I am fun without alcohol, for example, or like proving that I'm not like everyone else and proving that I'm different. Like it was trying to like kind of feed my ego and my sense of like superiority to other people yeah like I used to like fully think oh if anyone like drank a lot like they're just losers and they have no self-confidence and they're super insecure and now I understand there's a lot more nuance than that do you feel comfortable sharing your some of your mushroom trip and like your thoughts on sobriety if you don't want to it's okay Uh, yeah I'll share I'll share thoughts on mushrooms but just before we go on to that yeah what was what were the biggest things that you felt like both physically and mentally when you stopped drinking and what things did you miss the most um the biggest difference that I felt was that I actually got to like wake up in the morning and enjoy the sunshine and I literally said to you before we started walking how much I enjoy like my weekend walks and just being out in daylight just helped me so much with my mental health and my sense of like mental clarity and emotional stability and so that was probably the biggest difference I also like felt like when I exercised the same workouts would feel a lot easier um than when I was like drinking all the time um I just had a lot more motivation and honestly like the self-confidence maybe in some aspects was like almost detrimental like it was almost too confident but like I did just feel very comfortable in my own skin and I learned to feel comfortable without having the relaxation of alcohol in my system. Yeah, know? I feel like you've really, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but yeah. you, you really figure out or find out like who you are. Yeah. You're faced to confront like reality like very yeah. intensely and you're forced to be comfortable in certain situations where you previously have relied on yeah. like a drink in hand or whatever. And so it's uncomfortable at first. Like the first the first few times I went out, you feel a bit weird, like everyone else is drinking, you're like, uh, what's going on? Like you just feel a bit awkward. Mm-hmm. But then once you get over that hurdle, you then have, I, I found that I have a much better time. Like if, if the party or the event that I'm at is a good one, I'll have better conversations with people and I'll have a better time. Yeah. And if it's not a good place, then that I probably would have stayed at had I been drinking just to like stay and like yeah. have some drinks, whatever, I'll leave yeah. because it What's forces you to like really actually have a good time or like not have a good time. Yeah. And leave. Just be more intentional with your time and like 
not do things for the sake of it I feel like alcohol stimulates a lot of just doing stuff for the sake of it like oh yeah that's another thing I used to go out to events or parties or whatever where I knew that I wouldn't enjoy the music and considering how much I'm obsessed with music and like really excited about certain genres that was just a waste of time for me because I just like would have a drastically different level of fun and so now whether I drink or, or don't drink, I'm much more intentional about the kinds of places I decide to like commit to, to go out. If I know that I'm going to enjoy the music, I know I'll have a really good time. And that also encourages me to like not drink. I was telling you about how like I went to this event a few weeks ago and I didn't drink any alcohol just because like I just forgot. Like I didn't need to. I was just so excited about the music that was playing that I just didn't need to like numb myself or make myself feel more mellow like the music was already doing that for me just like the music allowed me to feel present and happy and like relaxed and let go and whatever all the things that you're meant to feel when you go out and I feel like a lot of the time alcohol was making me forget how much of a shitty time I was having um or how much the music was just shit (laughs) I also feel like it's becoming more and more normal to not drink oh yeah for sure after lockdown yeah and And also our our generation i just feel like are a lot more open-minded to it yeah i find that when i tell people our age it's that it's a lot more normal compared to if i tell someone who's like older yeah like our parents generation or something it is weird though like when i was doing like job interviews last year there were a lot of questions or like suggestions of wanting to know what my drinking habits were and it was interesting like what what kind of questions like oh like do you like do you like drinking and like, if I said no, they'd be like, oh, she's boring. It wasn't the opposite. Like, no, no she's no. clearly someone who wants to work harder, like be more productive, no, like, it, like, you know, look after herself. A lot of places that had a sociable culture would want someone who would contribute to that sociable culture. And uh, oftentimes that meant going out to the pub and drinking with them. I definitely went through a similar phase to you when I was at the beginning, especially you feel maybe superior is the right word to use, where you feel like kind of like, oh, no, like looking after myself, like other people who drink, like, you know, idiots, whatever. Yeah. But then I've kind of got to a point now where I'm very, very indifferent whether people drink or not drink. Like if people want to drink, that's great. They can have a great time. If people don't drink equally, like I don't look at people in a different way. Yeah. That's good. That's very healthy. But I, I've always sensed that about you. And that's why I've always felt comfortable like going out with you. Because I know that if I choose to drink or don't choose to drink, like you're not judging me either way. Which is something I feel like I could learn from you. Because even though I'm much better than before, I do notice that I still do judge people. Which isn't really fair because I'm also, you know, drinking. Yeah, like it's like exactly what my friend was saying when I was talking about you and our other friend about how when we went to the pub I was like yeah I was like super impressed it was like the first time in a long time that I sat down and like I was the one having a drink and they were just like no we're not drinking and it was just like the most normal thing to them I was just like wow I was just like I didn't know that like there were that many people who did that and then my friend was like wait but you were drinking right I was like yeah and he was like classic Elena you know being like I really respect and appreciate if other people don't drink but don't mind me downing my pints in the corner (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah yeah I think like the way I see it is for me my values changed like after I left university and like as I got a bit older and I started to value different things in life and alcohol was pretty much like directly opposed to those that's why I stopped and that's why I have like I'm, I'm still not drinking and it works really well right now um and I would recommend like even even I think people should just even if they're curious about it like yeah, to try it's it. such a good thing to just try yeah because what's like one or two months like yeah you see you get to see what it's like yeah you, get and you, to don't, you, you lose one or two months of not drinking, drinking yeah. if, you, if 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 that's what you want to go back to doing yeah but I think people should just experiment and be more open-minded yeah because just like we were saying like you know, alcohol promotes doing things for the sake of doing things. And if you don't ever give yourself an opportunity to just stop drinking and see what the other side is like, then you never know. And like now I feel like when I drink, I understand why I'm much more self-aware of like why I want to drink at at that moment in time or like when I feel the need to, when I don't, I don't know. Like it's just like trying, if you don't try to stop drinking at one point, you're just going to spend your whole life doing something because that's just all you've ever known. And I feel like it's not just about alcohol. Like with anything that you do, you should always be open-minded and like try things in different ways. And that helps you just be much more purposeful with whatever you do choose to do rather than just doing it because you've always done it, you know? And it just makes you more like confident in general. The other thing was 
that I f- feel very protective of my own sensitivity towards myself and other people. And I'm by that, I mean like my intuition and just being aware of the people around me and how I feel towards them. And if I'm drinking while I'm meeting people and going out, I'm much more numb to like first impressions or like trying to tune into like someone's energy or like my understanding of like how comfortable I feel around someone. Um, And so having a lot of situations where I'm completely sober is really important to me in terms of being more intentional with the people that I surround myself with. And that's something I noticed while I was like drinking a lot in the beginning of uni, I was not intentional and I had a lot of shitty people around me and being sober helped me to kind of just like cleanse my social circle and just like only be surrounded by people that I actually really appreciate and trust and respect and not people that make me feel uncomfortable or just like are unkind or negative in any way you know it just like helps you just to have a clearer sense of what's going on around you yeah you get a much clearer head as well yeah like just from like a uh, chemical perspective as well like after three months your brain is just not being damaged like on yeah. a weekly basis and yeah anyway yeah it's super interesting yeah okay should we move on to mushrooms <laughs> have <laughs> so you done mushrooms i've never done mushrooms but and obviously the podcast is called awake not baked i have never done any drugs but if i were to try something i feel like it would be mushrooms and it's come up a lot like the past few months just the the theme of mushrooms not just magic mushrooms but just like the power of mushrooms in general fungi fungi fantastic fungi yeah a great great show on netflix i think that's kind of where it started for me um when i came home for the christmas holidays my parents were drinking like mushroom powder tea and i was like what and they're like yeah it's super healthy for you whatever and then um i listened to like a joe rogan podcast with paul stamets who's like the mushroom or fungi expert, who's the one who narrates the Netflix show. Oh, uh, yeah, he's awesome. Not Netflix, though, documentary. So he, he, he did, so he had a really bad stutter. Oh, yeah, tell us a story about that. So this guy who made this documentary or is the main guy in this documentary and who you're talking about went on Joe Rogan, had a really bad stutter and couldn't really talk to anyone properly. Basically took like a massive dose of magic mushrooms not really knowing like how many he was taking um and he thinks he took like seven grams or something which is 10 10 grams so a heroic dose which is like an insane dose would be like five grams so 10 is obviously ridiculous you're like not just going to meet god you're probably like becoming god at that point (laughs) 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 um and he went to he climbed to the top of the tree a, a tree in a in the middle of the storm and and said to himself i'm gonna stop stuttering i'm gonna stop stuttering stop stuttering stop stuttering came out of the trip and has never stuttered since no you you missed a key part of the story key part of the story is that when he wakes up after his trip he goes on a walk and he walks past this woman who he's had a crush on yeah and he always like felt embarrassed to speak to her and looked at the floor walking past her yeah and he just uh, so she says, good morning, Paul. And then he replies, good morning, whatever her name is. How are you? And in that moment, he realized, oh, shit, my stutter's like fully gone. Um, and he's never stuttered since. Like, that is insane. Why do you think that? What do you think it is about mushrooms that helped him do that? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but I think that so what's cool is that there's been a revival of research into psychedelics mm-hmm. and um, magic mushrooms and their effect on the brain and uh, how they can potentially be used to help like people with depression, anxiety and, and stuff like that. Um, but what happens a lot when people take mushrooms and they take mushrooms whilst they're like monitoring their brain is the part of your brain where they think like the ego is, is like there's loads of activity and it's like reshaped and it creates this like neuroplasticity where your brain can where your brain basically is like 
you become a lot more open-minded mm-hmm. but that happens on like a chemical and like biological basis yeah and so a lot of people it's just like a death of the ego like they it's kind of like a reset yeah um and then afterwards as well it helps grow new neurons in the brain mm-hmm. and so it actually like makes your brain not bigger but if you're growing more neurons then maybe it is getting bigger yeah um but there's this there's that theory about the apes i don't know if you know well, have we spoken about the From ape the theory show, but i would like you to say it so, so that- there's a theory about the evolution of um, Homo sapiens, where there were different, sorry, there were the same species of ape basically across the whole world. Like we were pretty evenly distributed, but a bunch of apes, specifically in a region in Africa, mm-hmm. had this cognitive revolution where their cognition increased, you know, tens of times faster than the rest of these apes across different parts of the world. Yeah, and this basically led to. Um, humans developing because um they then evolved to be much smarter um much more innovative and they basically took over the whole planet after that yeah um and there's no one really knows why that specific segment of apes evolved much more much faster than others and there's this theory that basically there was a disproportionate number of magic mushrooms (laughs) growing in the region that they were growing and these apes started eating these magic mushrooms which was basically like superfood for their brains yeah and so they started eating these they were then growing new neurons becoming much more open-minded like experimenting with new things and like this over generation generations and generations then led to this specific segment of apes being much more advanced than all the others yeah so i think that's pretty interesting so interesting but i think going back to like why it cures depression why it helps people just like transform mental like limitations in that so I think the reason why it like is so potent is because a lot of the reason why us humans aren't able to achieve something is because of our own mental limitations, like our limiting beliefs. And so I think our thoughts are powerful in that they can both help you to achieve something and also prevent you from achieving something. And mushrooms help you to tap into this wider like sense of consciousness. And um, the podcast that I mentioned in the Uh, my episode with Anna, Anna Brewer, was about intuition and consciousness. And it basically argued that consciousness expands when brain activity is lowered. And so I think it's the same thing that happens with mushrooms where like the reason why so many people feel a sense of ego death when they take magic mushrooms is because um, they stop like experiencing the world from their own limiting beliefs but like from this kind of wider mysterious sense of like consciousness greater consciousness that everyone is able to tap into and so you know with uh paul stamets's stammer you know his, he spent his whole life looking at the floor because he refused to look into people's eyes because he was so embarrassed he was carrying this constant sense of shame and constantly actively thinking about the fact that he had a stammer and how he was being perceived like that is all to do with an like an ego and you know being self-conscious and all of that and when you let go of those like fears and worries which all stem from ego you're able to like access like this bigger sense of understanding from a place outside of just yourself from from you as an individual and i think that's why it also cures depression and anxiety because both of those things come from a fear or concern about something so microscopic and in that obviously not to the person who's experiencing depression or anxiety but microscopic in the sense that it concerns the specific individual and it comes from struggling to be able to see things from a different perspective and i think magic mushrooms help you to just open your mind yeah open your mind and like take out take yourself out from that limiting perspective and see the world in a different way i think reality is just all about the way that you perceive things and so the reason why magic mushrooms are so powerful is because it just helps you to just like perceive in a completely different way um and and so instantaneously you know yeah and what's crazy also is that it comes from like a tiny little mushroom yeah this isn't engineered in a lab. Yeah. This isn't some like hardcore LSD. Mm. It's like a very simple mushroom that grows in the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was speaking to one of my friends and I was like, I feel like all world leaders should be forced to do a really <laughs> heavy trip once or twice a year. The world would be a much better place. Because yeah. all of the, so many of these like bolstering or like conflicts, or whatever, and mm-hmm. come from a lot of people's own egos. Would you feel comfortable sharing like the kinds of things you feel? on a mushroom trip yeah but i i think everyone's is different 
Really? Because yeah, I, I, I heard that everyone has this, a similar sense of like, you know, a la- like a s- oneness, you know? Yeah. So, so when you, the come up is quite intense. You feel quite anxious. Mm-hmm. It's quite like a intense increase in energy in your body and you feel it in your chest and everything. Um, but then when the trip actually kicks in, you feel connected to everything. And it's not necessarily like a lot of people think that you just have like massive visuals or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that you start seeing like, you know, flying unicorns or whatever. It's more you you feel and see energy all around you mm-hmm. and everything's connected. Yeah, And it's really hard to explain to someone who hasn't, like you kind of need to experience it for yourself to understand it. Well, th- this is the reason why I don't think I need to take mushrooms because I already see the world in that way. Like that's just the way I've grown up. So a lot of people say that if you are really good at meditating, yeah. you can get to a very similar state when if you meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get, I get that yeah. for sure. But then afterwards you feel this like really warm glow um where imagine like a sunset on a beach <laughs> i've said this to you yeah it's like a sunset it's a good on, analogy it's like a sunset on a beach like the nicest sunset you can imagine like yeah. warm like golden sand on the feet like just complete like satisfaction bliss whatever yeah. that's kind of what it feels like for like an hour or so yeah um and then it stays with you for a few days after as you feel Mm-hmm. a sort of sense of contentness but yeah i think it's cool that people are researching them again and i they're strong drugs so like people shouldn't take them yeah like willy-nilly like they're really powerful yeah. things so people sh- you know like uh, i don't think i don't think like mushrooms are i don't think people should think oh mushrooms like happy drugs like you know just take them the whole time yeah. whatever like they're really powerful things and people should respect them yeah but it's cool that there's a lot of research into the area and i think that hopefully it will be one of the biggest like breakthroughs in medicine over the next 10 15 years and um hopefully it can play a part in solving the mental health crisis Uh i mean i completely agree that while i'm being super open-minded about mushrooms i also think like people shouldn't just like with as with any drug like but especially with mushrooms i think it shouldn't be like a party drug where you take it in front of a bunch of people like it's Something that you take with a lot of deliberation. I would definitely agree with that. (laughs) My friend who does them sometimes says she always meditates before and always sets an intention for what she wants this like trip to be. And like, you know, she like asks for a sense of clarity on something or just like for herself to be open minded to whatever message she needs to receive at that moment in time. Um, so it's not something that she just like takes and like at a random party. Um, and I think that's really important because as with any drug, when you take it, you become extremely sensitive to everything around you. And that can either be a good thing or a bad thing. Like it means that you're absorbing like more positive thoughts, but it c- could also mean that you're absorbing whatever negativities around you. And so if you're around people that aren't, you know, healthy, emotionally, spiritually, it I think it can do more damage than... Or like if you're in a bad mental place before you take it. And also I agree that I really do believe that. And the reason why I've never done drugs is because I do believe that it's a real state of being that isn't just a hallucination. Like you're actually kind of tapping into to an alternate dimension or state of consciousness or whatever you want to call it. Um, you're tapping into something real. Um, and so that's something that can be achieved through meditation. And again, like that podcast that I was talking about, the Mark Gober, Where Is My Mind podcast, um, he says, you know, like a high kind of like state of meditation can give you that effect of like tapping into or having a better sense of, a bigger sense of consciousness. Um, And so, you know, something that can be achieved through practice and through discipline i.e. meditation, can also be achieved instantaneously through drugs. I think that's where it's dangerous because it's almost like your body isn't prepared for it. It's just something that happens too quickly. It's like a an easy route into a state of understanding, a state of bliss or whatever. Um, and that, I think, when you don't know how to get there on your own, can be not always the healthiest thing. And so that's why I've never done it. But I actually wrote down some stuff on mushrooms and like fungi in general when I was watching the um the documentary fantastic fungi which i'm gonna just like say some really interesting facts because when i was talking about mushrooms with my friends they're like you have to like kind of talk about what was cool about the documentary was there anything you wanted no no no, go go, go ahead so i liked like in the beginning like um 
they were talking about how a lot of times like people are afraid of mushrooms but actually like it represents rebirth because it like fungi suggests like an infection or something but actually mushrooms represent rebirth and regeneration rejuvenation like creating something out of nothing or like you know trans transformation and that's interesting because that's exactly what magic mushrooms do as well um and there is over 1.5 million species of fungi six times more than plants fungi can deal with oil spills like fungi literally absorbs the oil and produces a chemical that can break down the hydrocarbon bonds so they're like really really powerful there are so many applications of how they're useful like in in terms of like trying to solve problems that we've been like trying to tackle for years yeah nature often provides the solutions to so many things yeah rather than like us trying to engineer things in labs i completely agree and that's why i think what the pharmaceutical industry is doing with regards so what the pharmaceutical industry is doing is apparently patenting like almost identical chemical compounds to psilocybin like magic mushrooms but like doing something a tiny bit different so you're still getting somewhat like the same effect as taking magic mushrooms but it's not quite the same and i think with anything that is like um altered by man that's when like it's a whole different thing and i think like we should just trust what nature already gives us there's no need to like you know but it's a way to profit yeah this that that, there's massive controversy in the industry because a lot of the companies that are trying to create like a business out of this and doing all the different trials and bringing this to market obviously like it's a natural compound like someone could just go and take a bunch of magic mushrooms and so they're trying to think okay how can we have a defensible business around this so a lot of them are trying to do one way which is what you just talked about, which is yeah. actually trying to patent a, a variation of psilocybin, yeah. which isn't really working, I don't think. I think yeah. like the FDA is... Is the FDA that do the health stuff? Food and drug, yeah. Yeah, FDA. Um, but then other ones are trying to combine taking psychedelics with the therapy so that you have yeah. the two coming in tandem. I think that's probably quite... Yeah. M- I think that's probably a more defensible like business and, model. Yeah. And microdosing as well, I think... These are all things that help. Like I'm not sure about microdosing. Oh, really? Why? Yeah, I'm not sure about microdosing. Why? I don't know. I've listened to quite a few people talk about the effects of like just taking them, both microdosing and macrodosing. Mm-hmm. And all of the psychologists who are seeing the latest research suggest that microdosing doesn't really do that much. And if you actually want to have an impact and get something out of it, you should just macrodose. Yeah, fair. I don't know. <laughs> we ain't no drug experts. <laughs> Um, okay, anyway, um, so what else does it say? So uh, fungi have more networks than our brain has neural pathways. It works in much the same way um, and has like electrolytes and e- electrical pulses, which is really interesting how like similar we are in that sense. And the documentary talks about how we're most more closely related to fungi than any other animal kingdom, uh, any other kingdom, sorry. Like fungi are significant in that they are built to solve problems so like they'll seek out the food and defend themselves they're hugely intelligent and i think this connects to um was it in the documentary or was someone else about how like the tokyo tube map do you know that story no i'm not sure i think it was in the documentary but they basically talk about how they used like the japanese government used fungi and like placed it in the same uh patterns as like the tube maps and like got it to uh, like sorry put food in like the various like stops um and like tried to see like how the route that the fungi would take to get to the food to like ensure that they were the tube map was building like, the tunnels the most efficient, efficient way. way yeah that's so cool how cool is I, that? I, I know that that's awesome yeah it's awesome highly recommend that documentary it's called fantastic fungi and i think that's like what opened my mind to drugs in that like, like I see the scientific background to why it's such a powerful drug. But I also think that labeling it as a drug is kind of grouping it in with everything else, like cocaine and heroin and whatever. And I just think it's completely different because it's not synthetically made. And I think it should be while I... What about weed? Weed as well. But I feel like a lot of the weed that is in circulation is not pure. But I, I still do think, like, we don't need this stuff. But I am open to how it can benefit people. I agree. And I still think that those same effects, the same realizations can be had through meditation, through being by yourself and, like, just quieting quietening the mind. Mm-hmm. Can we move on? Unless there's anything else you want to talk no, about. No, no. 
Can we move on to thoughts on masculinity and femininity? Because you recommended me a really good book, which I have yet to finish. I'm like three quarters of the way through. Um, but the book was called King Warrior, Magician Lover. Do you want to talk to me about that book? Yeah, I can or summarize, like summarize it. it for the it's listeners. a really good book. It's It basically explores the like masculine archetypes and then tries to relate it to modern society uh-huh. and so as you just said it's called king warrior magician lover and so those are the four male archetypes that it explores for each archetype there's also like a shadow archetype and so like king is um basically the archetype that imagine is sort of like walking around and someone who is empowering to everyone that they come across like a king might be to their people empowering but also you see yourself as an equal um and you're kind of like an empowering person. Yeah. Warrior is taking emotion out of things and just being able to get on with whatever you're getting on with. Like and a being Like a samurai, being like very like military oriented um, and just getting shit done. Yeah. Like moving forward no matter what. Yeah. And like honoring whatever your intention was without letting emotions get in the way. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's very like militaristic samurai, yeah. that sort of thing. Just moving forward, no matter what, don't kind of taking out emotion of, of your decisions yeah. and just having a goal and just moving forward towards that goal. Uh-huh. Um, magician is being able to remove yourself from your feelings, kind of mm-hmm. like not getting too attached to the way that you feel and being able to have quite like a holistic view on things um, and being able to separate yourself out and be objective. How is that different to warrior? Well, all, all of them go quite hand in hand and all of them relate to each yeah. other in different ways. I think my interpretation of how different warrior was to magician is that warrior like acts without like thinking that much. It just like keeps pushing forward and like, you know, objective. Magician also has that sense of objectivity and like, but it's more from a place of observing things with an open mind and g- getting the whole picture. And so it's almost more thinking, but like kind of... yeah. But philosophical. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say like magicians like quite philosophical. Yeah. Like the philosophical side of how you want to be. Yeah. And like having an open mind, like thinking about different things, mm-hmm. being able to be sort of holistic about different viewpoints and yeah. that sort of thing. And then love is just being able to be connected to everything in the world and being able to have empathy yeah. um, and not getting completely like shutting off your emotions, not having like a stone heart, but like accepting emotions and not being completely like driven by them. So it's about being empathetic and gentle and that sort of thing. Compassionate. Compassionate. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that the book says that all four of these pillars, I guess, archetypes, archetypes yeah. are important to have in balance and in like symbiosis with one another because they're in a sense quite opposite but this is where I'm excited for us to go to our meditation class in a bit because this whole meditation class is all about like magician balancing opposite energies and how they like kind of understanding how that can actually be be put into practice because it's quite contradictory in some sense but I think all of us like you know if we just step back and look at things like look at the bigger picture just life in general and people and personalities like everyone is super contradictory and like and have so many different components to them that's in a sense what all makes us very similar (laughs) you're like where is she going with this (laughs) you're like what Um. (laughs) (laughs) um it's important to like understand how each of these four archetypes can bring you different things and when to tap into those things at different times. Yeah, definitely. So love is the one I didn't, I haven't read yet, that section. Have you found it, What which archetype have you felt was the easiest as a guy to like tap into? I think that I, I, every guy is probably different. Yeah. Like a lot of people, different people probably like more naturally prone to like being better at one than the other. Yeah. For me personally, I struggle with, uh, I'm probably... Yeah, magician is probably like the one that I'm least in touch with. Yeah, probably magician. I'm not that great at. Yeah. I'm quite good at the others. But it's also about like being aware of them. I feel like with everything, you need to practice things consciously before they become unconscious. Yeah, that's true. And make it a habit before. Yeah. It's, It's interesting because the book also starts off by talking about how a lot of the problems in the world that are labeled as the patriarchy and toxic masculinity are the result of boys and weak masculinity yeah um and the lack of these archetypes being in place in society yeah 
And I think increasingly, like, that's probably true. Yeah, I think we talked about this the first time we met. And, you know, I might get some hate for saying this, but, you know, in the same way that women don't have the support to, like, I think I think there's a huge, like, crisis at the moment in terms of allowing both uh, energies to feel safe and loved and allowed to be as they are and, like, allowed to flourish in like people's own femininity and masculinity and a lot of the book talks about the flip side to all of these archetypes like a weak version of them or like an undeveloped version of them and how they can harm yeah high chair tyrant (laughs) what was high high chair tyrant again uh it's just it's basically when someone's quite spoiled and expects everything and expects to be treated like a king um and doesn't that's and it's more like a instead of empowering it's more of like a telling people what to do yeah and So what the book was saying is a lot of the masculinity that is labeled as toxic or untolerated by society right now or is ridiculed and hated isn't real um, healthy. um, It's not mature masculinity. masculinity. It's It's immature, like boyish. Yeah, boy psychology. And so, you know, expecting everything and like not giving and kind of you know being spoiled and whatever start being selfish all of all of those things come from like a sense of insecurity and a, a lot of that book what what I liked about that book was that it really emphasizes the importance of just like self-confidence and being aware of your strengths and like being appreciative of them and then also like being aware of how other people can you know what do you think is a women reading it like what 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 did you what things like stood out most for you and like which archetypes as well do you think are most important Mm. I think what what I was disappointed by the book was that you know it said like we men like it was very like speaking to men only on the one hand I did feel a little bit like out of it and you know like pushed aside as an outsider which was a shame because I think if we are to heal the men of our society we all need to be a part of that and a part of the understanding of like how they can be supported. But it also helped me to like feel like I was reading like an intimate conversation between men and like something more vulnerable. Um, and I think, I think warrior is something that a lot of boys are good at, but I can also see how it's like, taken to the extreme a lot of times so a lot of guys like in order to feel very masculine they will like obsess over sports um or like you know become very skilled at something and in order to become very skilled at something especially with sports you really need to have that warrior mentality because you need to be detached from your emotions at all times like if you win you can't be like if you win a point you can't be like oh yeah i'm i'm insane you just have to keep going you can't like just think oh that's done it's like that in, in that poem you know if yeah it's like if you can meet triumph and disaster and treat those two just the same yeah it's like so true it's like when you look at sports athletes like federer or nadal or Djokovic, yeah sure they have blowouts like occasionally and they lose their shit but if you watch them when they're during a match mm-hmm. like they're just completely calm yeah and their, their minds are just extremely calm like federer is always he always looked completely unfazed yeah. by anything mm-hmm. and that's like the ultimate mm-hmm. warrior exactly you know and if you lose a point like especially when I watch tennis I really like come to appreciate how so much of the sport or any sport or any success in general is all mental strength and you know someone that's down like six games or whatever two sets can always come back if they don't let their emotions get the better of them and if they can just like keep pushing through with that one objective and so in that sense I think warrior is something that a lot of sports subconsciously teaches. Like, you know, even joining school teams, those are the things that, that, that are spoken about all the time and practices. But at the same time, if that's taken to an extreme or if that's not uh, tapped into in conjunction with something like lover or king, I feel like, you know, I've seen a lot of guys just like completely block their emotions and like not understand that a part of being masculine is to access like emotions and learn how to like use that to have empathy with someone else and or to make better decisions and to just be more compassionate and to use 
their masculinity to support other people and lift them up. I don't know. That's all very vague. But what I also found interesting, and I did say this to you, was like what I was saying about porn. How I was like, a lot of the reason why guys get addicted to porn is because they want to experience like femininity or like mother nature, like the great mother without having to like put in the work or like do what it, do what they need to do to like have an actual meaningful union with another woman and to like, you know, have the union in the sense of like having their own masculinity nurtured, but also having like the pleasure of having feminine energy around them. It's like a very shallow way of doing that. It's so shallow. Um, and like how, like deal with like the complexities of an intimate relationship, you know, using porn to tap into that. Cause in a way I think that like feminine energy is very healing energy. And so it's kind of like wanting to have that feeling of being healed or just like peace or whatever, but without dealing with like the responsibilities that come with having an actual relationship and I by relationship I don't just mean like a romantic relationship I mean like even with friends or whatever and I think I do see that a lot in terms of like men having a real sense of lack of being responsible and yeah like purpose and intent and again like it also talks a lot about um a lack of confidence from men manifesting in toxic masculine traits and you know when even with like the high chair tyrant someone who has like the immature version of the king energy is extremely sensitive to criticism and even if they put on like a really threatening aggressive front at like the slightest remark they're they immediately feel weak and deflated it reminds me of a lot of people i know or like a lot of conversations i've had where like i'll lightly tease someone and they will like immediately like get so aggressive or like you know people known for being really like mean but like in a fun funny but mean to people if you do the same thing to them they will immediately like retaliate and get very upset and very defensive and i see that a lot in guys yeah, I think what I found interesting reading as a woman was that I think a lot of these things can also be applied to my own life as a woman. Yeah, I think it's just like a lot of it's general human yeah. comes from like a general all humans perspective. Yeah. A lot of it's like for everyone. Yeah, one of them that I wrote down was like how someone who gets angry at someone else's weakness is just them being afraid of their own weaknesses because they're seeing it on the face of someone else and like they're being faced with their own weakness. And I think going back to the, the talk on sobriety, I think the reason why I would judge, like often when I judge people, it's because I'm feeling insecure about it myself if I look at it deep down. And so like if I judged other people for drinking a lot, it's because I used to do that or like I'd be like, oh, I can't believe they're looking so silly because I've been in situations where I've looked so silly doing the same thing or whatever. And I think a lot of judgment just comes from not being willing to see those weaknesses within yourself and not being accepting. I always think like the best way to be, or this is just like completely my own point of view. I think it's the way I like to be is hard on myself and lenient on others. Yeah, that's a really good mentality to have. But I also then think that it's it's better for yourself as well, because if you're lenient on others, you're not holding others to high standards. You don't have high expectations. Yeah. It's all about having no expectations. Yeah, it's more about just controlling what you can control. Yeah, that's a stoic mentality, isn't it? Stoicism's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what I really liked about like the king energy and empowerment. So king energy is all about empowerment, both with yourself and with others. It was saying that accessing king energy versus being a king is different in that when you're being a king wait no sorry where are you going with this so, <laughs> so i wrote down no transpersonal commitment if one believes he is the king and therefore prioritizes himself completely and so taking advantage of king energy is about tapping into it but not like feeling like the king because in order to empower others you need to have a sense of like a commitment not to just yourself but also like tra transpersonal is the key thing here the quote from the if poem which translates this like really well is if all men can count on you but none too much yeah. i think that sums it up quite well it's like you shouldn't necessarily think of yourself as a king but you should just be willing to and able to like help other people yeah and I think what the author was trying to say here is that real meaning, real responsibility, real empowerment comes from when there is a purpose other than just for yourself, when there is a wider purpose that connects to other people. And when you are taken out of your own like egotistical sense of fulfillment, when it's a fulfillment that is about like giving to others, I think. 
And I think the real like masculinity should be about that. And all of the masculinity that we like, you know, as women hate so much, those aspects are actually just like not real masculinity because a lot of that is to do with a man being extremely selfish and extremely unaware of like how his own actions impact others. And like the king energy is about knowing that you can impact others and using that for good. Yeah. Okay, wait, let's actually just wrap this up. Okay. okay. Um, do you have, do you think there's, if there's anything that you could give to listeners, like a line that you really like from a poem or I, I mean, to be fair, that one is pretty good. But if you have an, another one or like, I don't know, something that you live by, can you share it? Yeah, okay. I came across this quite recently, Yeah. but it's from a speech called Man in the Arena, which uh, Theodore Roosevelt read, I, I don't know when maybe when he won an election or like when something happened, when something significant happened, but there's a quote at the end of it where it says that, and this is for like, I'll I'll just read it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just talking about like, if you're someone you don't want your place. So it says his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I feel like I need to read the whole thing to make it make sense. Yeah, I think you do. (laughs) Okay. So I'll, I'll read it. Um, So it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails, while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I like that. And I think you've actually read me that last part. Yeah, I think I have. And it's all about living life to the full. And that's a more meaningful life. Than- but also like not sneering at people who are trying to do things. I agree. And I think, yeah, it's so true. And I, I feel like there's a lot of judgment around people who do something differently or people who stand out because they're doing something that no one else is doing. But actually, whether they succeed or fail in whatever they do, we should all build a culture of like encouragement towards those deeds because there's a lot of bravery and courage that is needed in order to be different or try something new. And that should never be sneered at, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really enjoyed that. Of course. Maybe you can come on another time because I feel like there's a lot more we could talk about. Part two. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, well, we're off to our meditation class. (laughs) Tune in next week. (laughs) Bye.